We come now to um, sermon and our time to be in God's Word together. And so I would invite you to turn to the second chapter of Paul's letter to the Philippians. We'll find ourselves this morning in verses 19 through 30. Um, actually, before we read the passage, you can go ahead and turn there. And, and I should also remind you that we do have uh, the fellowship pads located on the inside of our aisles. And if you would pass those down the aisle and sign those, know that you are here, um, especially for our visitors. But before we read this passage, I want to take just maybe a minute or two uh, to set this passage in its context. You know, it's easy sometimes to forget that all these passages that we're studying in Paul's letter to the Philippians are really a part of something much bigger, a part of a whole. I mean, you, you never get a letter and, you know, read three or four sentences and say, well, well read, read three sentences next week. You know, you read the whole thing at once so, so you know how the parts fit together with the whole. So here's Paul, he's writing to the Philippians, and, and we'll see, we understand that Paul is writing them in response to a gift that they sent through this man named Epaphroditus, who we'll read about in just a few moments. But uh, Paul writes the Philippians back, and in the first chapter, he's basically giving them an update on, on him. He's telling them what's going on in his life. And then soon enough, he turns his attention directly to the Philippians to encourage them. And he, he turns his attention to them, and we find him there encouraging them to be united together in love, um, that they would look out for the interests of others and not just themselves. And he points them to the example of Jesus and says, your attitude should be like that of Jesus. And we find him encouraging them in the way that they should live with all before this God who's at work in them and how they should really stand out uh, in, in, in the universe, even as stars, as we saw last week. And here, here's really why I think this is important for us to understand before we read this section. You see, the Philippians sent Paul a gift and in this section, Paul is saying that he is going to send them something. And you have to get this. He, his gift to them is people. He's giving, not stuff, but he's giving them people. And more than that, he's giving them men who really are a picture of everything he's been encouraging the Philippians themselves to be in their community. And so with that in mind... Let's turn our attention to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor men like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ, 
risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. Let's come before God in prayer as we ask him to help us understand his word. Heavenly Father, we, we come now to your word and we, we ask that you would help us to understand it. But not simply that we would understand it with our minds, but also that it would be applied to our hearts. That we would not simply be hearers of your word, but that we would leave this place doers of your word that we would respond the way we were made to respond to your voice, that we would hear, that we would trust, that we would obey. Father, we, we pray this morning that you would give us a great humble confidence before your word, humbled by the fact that we are hearing your voice, confident because we know that your word never returns to you void, It does not return to you without accomplishing the purposes for which you sent it out. And so we pray that you would use this word to call us out of the darkness and into your light, that you would use this word to be a guide to our feet, that we might walk in it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, you know that I came to St. Andrews, and I came to St. Andrews after spending eight years in this very, very narrow slice of American culture called the university. And uh, I was on, on the campus for all those years. And I'm sure that most of you will be able to relate to how significant community is to university. Um, in, in fact, it's so significant, so significant, that many of us in this room are 5, 10, 20, 30, few of us even more than that, removed from our universities Uh, that we attended, and yet I still hear conversations all the time about how you brag about your universities and how you boast about those things. Um, You you know, you step into the university scene and you're hit with all the school spirit, the t-shirts, the hats, the logos on absolutely everything imaginable. You go to a game and people who would never even acknowledge one another's presence anywhere else in life. You know, they're high-fiving one another, and they're hugging each other, and they're screaming together, and they're on the same... I mean, this community thing that happens at the the university. I mean, students, they're so quick. They can tell you so fast how all the reasons their community is really better than that of their rival school. Amazing how it happens. So intense, I, I think, is this community aspect that it really shapes the identity of people. In fact, the funny thing, you know, sometimes when I was doing college ministry, students would show up and they were not ready to commit to the community. And what they would do is they would go home every weekend. They'd go home because what they were really longing for was their old community. And I would just look at these students and I would say, I hope you have a good year because I know I won't see you next year. You haven't committed to the community. And for that, you won't stay here. You'll never be able to enjoy it the way you're meant to. Listen, all I'm really trying to do here is to say that this is just one tiny example in this very little narrow slice of culture where it just happens to be very easy to see how important community is. But I think that you probably know that the need and desire for community, it, it really isn't peculiar to the university. It's peculiar to humanity. I mean, the groups we belong to, 
You know, the, uh, the clubs we participate in and join in. The, uh, you know, it, all this stuff. Sometimes we will actually spend a lot of money to get into a community. It's so important to us. Our neighborhoods, our social circles, and so on and so forth. I mean, a community, we understand this inherently. It, it shapes our view of the world. A community, it gives us identity. It shapes our purposes in life. It, it, it lets us know that we are a part of something. Bigger than ourselves. Do you know where that need for community comes from? You know, the Bible tells us that we were made in the image of God. And God is a community. You are made in His image. And He's a community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Built into the very fabric of our being is this need for community. You see, Paul isn't sending money or things to the Philippians. He is sending them people. And you see, the gospel creates, the gospel creates the community that every other community in life is simply trying to copy. This is it. It it creates the kind of community that we desperately need. And I want us to see this morning how the gospel community is really one where we care for one another on the one hand. And also in gospel community, it brings us completion on the other hand. So first, in gospel community, we see a care for others. Here's Paul saying that he hopes to send Timothy to the Philippians. And he's saying something pretty astounding here. He says, I've got no one else like this guy. He says that in verse 20. And then he says, he takes a genuine interest in your welfare. He's sending someone to them who is marked by how much he cares for them. I mean, it is both simple and astonishing I think at the same time. You know, here's a guy, Paul is saying, who is able to really forget himself and live for other people. And sadly, I think we would agree, that is rare. I mean, Paul himself says in verse 21, everyone else, they they look out for their own interests, not the interests of Jesus Christ. I mean, it's just one of the reasons community is hard for us. We have these fearful, insecure hearts that are always saying, look out for yourself. Look out for yourself first. So we find ourselves thinking, I've got to protect my reputation at all costs. I can't be vulnerable, right? You know, we we step on people, so often not out of maliciousness, but we step on people simply because we have this instinct. We've got to get ahead. We've got to try and make ourselves more secure. We've got to do it at all costs. We find ourselves grasping for control in our relationships and using things like manipulation and, and shame and withdrawal because we're afraid, of, we're afraid of losing power in the relationship. You know, I heard someone say one time that you pick up the newspaper every day, but the headline's the same. The headline's always, nobody gets along with anybody in the world. Um, I mean, community, you know, yeah, it, it would be great if we just didn't have to deal with people. Um, you know... Community would be wonderful, right, if we didn't have to be the ones who were vulnerable. Oh, it would be great if we didn't have to be the ones giving up our sense of control and and, and power. You see, with our fearful, insecure hearts, I mean, that's just who we are naturally. But here's this guy, Timothy, right? And he has figured out how to live a different way. He's figured out how to forget himself. And, and really look out for others' interests, to, to live and care for others. How do you do that? I mean, how do you get free? How do you get free from your fearful, insecure heart? 
that really actually works to dismantle community instead of build it. It, This is where I think the bigger context comes in because Timothy is an example of someone who Paul has already said knows what it means to be united to Christ, knows what it is to be comforted by His love in chapter 2, verse 1. He's a picture of a man who finds his identity in Jesus. He's someone who's living with awe before a God who's at work in him. He's someone who lives his life in gratitude and stands out from the world around him. Here's what I'm saying. Timothy is a man like this because he is a man of the gospel. He is a man identified by the gospel, and that's how he is free to live like this. He is set free to care for others because he knows who he is in Jesus. He understands the gospel and how the gospel creates deep, real, and vulnerable community. Look, I I want you to notice something in our passage. In verse 22, Paul says that Timothy has proved, he's proved himself as he served in the work of the gospel. And here's what you have to see. It is over time, not overnight. I mean, I think the real problem with life for us is that it just happens to be so daily. You know, the true test of character formed by the gospel isn't in the extraordinary. It isn't in the big dramatic experiences of life. It's in the ordinary daily stuff of life. It's over time and not overnight. Here's what I want you to think about. To become a person who can forget themselves and care for others, you have to apply who you are in Jesus to the way you do life. Day in and day out. I mean, the security that you have in Jesus, it should really be chasing away all all of your insecurity that keeps you from being vulnerable with others, from being real with others, the insecurity that keeps you from moving into other people's lives. Why? Because if your identity is in Jesus, it is okay. It's okay to risk rejection. I mean, because He took the ultimate rejection for you. In Jesus, your reputation is all bound up in Him and in His person and in His work. And when you work that into your soul over time, it simply changes how much you value the opinions of others. And you're free to forget yourself. When you understand that your future has really been secured by the King of Kings, when you get that into your heart, You are free to let go of your attempts to control other people in your life. You're free from this fear of losing power. And you're actually set free to die for other people when you understand that and work that into you. I mean, you are free to show mercy when you understand mercy, that you have been shown mercy. You're free to forgive when you understand that you have been forgiven. God places you and me. He places us in community with one another and we are made and redeemed for it. And it's only in the mess, and it really is mess, it is only in the mess of relationships that we can work this stuff out in our lives. You see, we tend to want it all at once. We want the dramatic experience, the have it all right now. And and I want to suggest to you that the real power of all of this is found as caring community is worked out into our lives in the mundane, in the little, in the ordinary stuff of relationships one moment at a time. It's in the, here's what I'm saying, it's in the little, hello, uh, it's in the little interactions 
I, I've, that's actually happened to me before when I was preaching. So don't, uh, you know, it's in my pocket going off. So don't feel bad about that. Um, it, it's in the little interactions that we have and now. I, I mean, in this moment, when we leave this service and th- tomorrow and throughout this week, in the little stuff day by day, that we are to apply the gospel to our fearful, insecure hearts and really care for one another. That daily little stuff is far more powerful than you and I can imagine. I read this article about the Grand Canyon on the Internet the other day, and uh, I've never been to the Grand Canyon. I've always wanted to go see it. And and I know that some of you in this room have been and you've seen it, and I I mean, I, I imagine that probably after looking at it for a while, you think, wow, that's a big hole. But when you first... See it. It has to just take your breath away. I mean, it's 277 miles long. And the width of it, 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 it is from, it, in some places it's four miles wide. In some places it's 18 miles wide. In some places it's over a mile deep. I mean, amazing. I can't, I can't wait to see it one day. And in this article that I read, I'm going to read you one sentence from that article. And this is what it says. The most powerful force to have an impact on the Great Grand Canyon is erosion, primarily by water and secondarily by wind. You, you know, erosion happens over a long, long period of time. The day in and day out wind and rain. You don't even get to see erosion. You just get to see the effects of it. See, It is obviously an extremely powerful force, day in and day out. You know, if I could do something for you this morning, it really would be to set before you this vision. That gospel community, a community that really does care for one another and treats one another with charity and treats one another with grace and treats one another with love, it is worked out in the day-to-day stuff of life as you see who you are in Jesus That kind of community, a community that genuinely takes an interest in others, it's what you were made for. It's what I was made for. And I'm telling you, that kind of community will change you. But I think Paul's saying something more than that. He's saying it won't just change you. It will change us. It is a community. Okay, second, I want you to see what gospel community says to us about completion. It's very interesting how fractured our lives are in this broken uh, in this broken world. We long for community, but we instinctively know we are not very good at it. And um, a few of you won't know what I'm talking about, so you don't even have to listen to the next minute or so. Um, but I think our desire for community, but also at the same time, the fact that we're not really good at it, I really do think that that is the reason certain things on the internet. <laughs> are actually very huge business. You know, I'm on Facebook. See, some of you have no idea what that is. But I'm on Facebook. And on Facebook, I looked at this the other day, um, it says that I have over 900-something friends on Facebook. I don't even know 900 names. I don't even recognize some of those people. I'm not sure how they got on there. 
But it says they're my friends. You know, I read this article this past week on internet games. And in that article, it quoted some statistics. Some guy from Stanford did some research. And here was one of the statistics. It said nearly 40% of men and 53% of women who play online games said that their virtual friends were equal to or better than their real-life friends. Well, sure they're better than your real-life friends. (laughs) They're not real. I, I mean, they... You know, these people, they don't hurt you. They don't cost you. You don't have to forgive them. You know, you don't have to serve them. You see, we long, that's a testimony to the fact that we long for some kind of community, but we're only willing to do it so far. I mean, we don't want to really get involved in the mess because it is messy. It really is. You know, and I want you to see right from the start that this guy with the weird name, Epaphroditus, you know, he is far from being someone who retreats from relationships or only just, you know, keeps relationships superficial. He's not someone who keeps people at arm's length. I mean, just look at how Paul describes him. He uses four words to describe him in verse 25. He's a brother. He's a fellow worker. He's a fellow soldier. And he's a messenger. Or we could just say he's a a servant. They They are so close that he calls him a family member. That he speaks of him as someone who is involved in the same mission in life. That he talks about him as someone who is involved in a, in a mutual fight and battle. That someone, someone who is involved in mutual submission in serving others. If that's not enough for you, I'm just telling you, this is the kind of guy who would walk on foot 800 miles to get to Paul in prison. I mean... That's a man that cares for others. That's a man in community. You see, you have a picture here of someone who says, it isn't about me, it is about us. You see, gospel community gives to us completion. I mean, that's how vital it is for us. That's exactly why Paul says in verse 26 that he longs for all of you. I mean, just because he heard that they were distressed when they heard he he was sick. And then Paul says in verse 28, Therefore I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you will be glad. I mean, community in the name of Jesus, it is completing to us. There's a book um, entitled Relationships, A Mess Worth Making. And... uh, the author makes the following comment here. He says, God keeps us in relationships for His redemptive purposes. Again, what he's saying is, this is where the gospel is fleshed out in the day-to-day stuff of life. And it's fleshed out as we understand who we are in Jesus. Because he goes on to say this. He says, Jesus was willing to become the forsaken friend so that we could have loving friendships. Jesus was willing to be the rejected Lord so that we could live in loving submission to one another. Jesus was willing to be the forsaken brother so that we could have godly relationships. Jesus was willing to be the crucified king so that our communities would experience peace. And he says this. We can't move toward community with one another until we have been drawn into community with God. You see, in community, you and I, we are to find completion with one another. And the way we do that is by understanding who we are in Jesus. And I think I'm right in saying this. This is really what we all long for. 
I mean, to be a people where we are free to know and be known. And I'm not just talking about knowing about one another. I mean, anybody can do that. But to truly move towards one another and know one another, to be a place where we are, we are quick to forgive, where we are quick to show mercy, where we are quick to spur one another on to holiness, where we are quick to be vulnerable and broken with one another. I mean, that's the kind of community that really makes you whole. You see, and here's something very, very practical for you that I want you to take away from this. And you can even take this as a word of warning if you want. For you individually to make strides towards this kind of community that cares and completes us, it will involve risk. There's just no way around it. Look at the last verse, verse 30. He says about Epaphroditus, he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. See, Epaphroditus, we know, got physically sick while visiting Paul, and it almost cost him his life to serve Paul. But I would suggest to you that really moving towards a whole and complete community is always going to involve risk. You know, the kind of community that will make us long for one another, the way Epaphroditus longs for this community and the way they long for one another, it is risky business. It may not be physical all the time, but it will cause you to risk losing your agenda for the community. It will cause you to risk emotional baggage as you walk with someone through the trauma of their lives. I mean, it's going to take risk. It will cause you to risk your status, to become a servant of people in trouble in their lives. It will cause you to risk your comfort, to practice forgiveness and mercy to fellow sinners just like you. There's a story about a woman who, who finally made it to retirement. And um, upon her retirement, she purchased this modest townhome and not a fancy part of the country, but, uh, but in a modest town. And, uh, you know, it wasn't anything fancy, but it was hers. And she just loved it. It, it was going to be a place for her to rest. It was going to be a place for her to enjoy her retirement. And her place had a patio on the back. And, um, and that really became her sanctuary, you know, at this place. She decorated it up and put her prized potted plants out there on the patio, you know. And she would spend every morning and every evening in that little section, in that, on that patio. And, and she would be enjoying the peace. Then the neighbors moved in next door. Um, and they were terrible. I mean, they were horrible. I mean, they were loud. They were obnoxious. The explicatives were heard shouted, you know, from, from within the house. And they're just terrible, terrible neighbors ruining her peace, ruining her sanctuary that she had created for herself. And she was growing more and more angry with each mounting offense. And one day she came home from the store. She came home from the store and she walked out onto her patio. And those three kids next door, they got into her backyard and they had broken the pots on her patio. I mean, she was furious. She opened up her Bible and she read, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. She said, man, that verse had to be, I couldn't read one on justice. Um, But, uh, you know, she didn't say that, but uh, she, 
So she goes next door, and she talks to the mom, and she says, you know, I'd really like to take you out sometime. Just let's have coffee. Get to know each other. And more and more throughout the days and weeks and months, remember it's the daily stuff, she just keeps investing into these people. I mean, she starts baking them meals and bringing them over, and she, um, she starts babysitting their kids so that mom and dad can get out and have a break. And, you know, she does all that. She listens to their stories after story after story. She's really getting to know these people. And, I mean, over time, she really did lay down her life for these neighbors. And then the day came for her neighbors to move. And she said... And this is, this is what she said. She said, when they moved away, I wept. Community, it, it completes us. And to have it severed causes us immense pain. But I'm telling you, it will never complete you. It, it just won't. And it will never, you will never know the joy of community. You will never experience the sorrow that is born out of deep love until you are willing to risk actually being involved in one another's lives. See, this is the thing we were made and redeemed for. And you know what's interesting? That kind of community, a caring and completing community, one where we feel free to be real and known and vulnerable, I mean, that, it, it sounds like a great idea to us. But outside of Jesus, it it doesn't just sound like a great idea. It also sounds terrifying. I mean, it really does, because without Jesus, there is nothing to protect you from possible pain, rejection, and suffering. Without Jesus, you aren't really free to take on this risk. But when your identity, when your identity is wrapped up in Jesus, when you know that you are completely loved, when you know that you are completely cared for in Him, when you know, when you know that He was willing to take on the ultimate risk, that He would risk losing His Father's smile on that cross to have you. You see, when you get that into your soul... It changes the way you do day-to-day life. You, you are free to die for others, to have an interest for others, to care for others, to walk through joy and sorrow with others, and to be complete, to be made whole. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for these men, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And we thank you for how they, for the way in which they are examples of all that Paul has been saying up to this point. Um, And we thank you for our community. We pray that you would be at work in us, in our whole community. That we would be a people who work into our hearts an understanding of who we are in Jesus and that it would really, that that would really change us in the little things over time, that we would be a community 
that really cares deeply for one another and for the interests of others. And that we would find in doing this that we are a community that is whole. That we would really understand in living this stuff that it's not about us individually, but it's about us corporately. And that we are not whole without one another. Father, we pray that you would do this for our good, yes, but ultimately for your glory. That the world would look upon this strange community, this bewildering community that cares deeply for one another and is complete in one another. And in seeing that, that it would be a witness to the world, to the lost, that you are the true God, that you are the God who has entered into space and time, that you are the God who has entered into history itself, that you took on the sufferings of this world in your son Jesus in order that we would indeed be made whole in him. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.